Well, good evening, everybody. Good evening. My Bible is opened up to the book of Philippians, to Philippians chapter 3. I'll invite you to be finding Philippians chapter 3 in your Bible as well. And we will be in the book of Philippians on and off for the entirety of the lesson, and so you might just want to keep your finger marked there. We'll be bouncing back and forth as we work together for these next few minutes in the Word of God. I'm very, very glad that you're uh, here this evening, glad that you're able to navigate through the dark. Everybody, oh, we've never driven in dark time before. We're here, we're safe, glad we're all able to be here so that we can worship God for another hour here on this Lord's Day. It's been just a, a wonderful Lord's Day here at Lakeside. I appreciate so very much your, your good encouragement after this morning's sermon. Just very pleased at the positive response that that message garnered. And I don't know why I should ever be surprised by that because whenever the seed falls on good soil, it's always going to yield good results. And I truly believe that when I stand in this pulpit, I believe that I'm, I'm getting to sow some seed to some good soil and I appreciate you for, for who you are and what you stand for. Let's see if that'll continue even with this evening's lesson. I noticed that the title on the sign didn't scare anybody away. That's a good sign, but well, we'll see how things go over the next couple of minutes. In Philippians chapter 3, let's read together in verse 13. In Philippians 3 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says this. He says in Philippians 3.13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In about 48 hours, it will all finally come to an end. All of the campaigning and the debating and the charges and the counter charges and the attack ads and the yelling and the insults and the hollering will hopefully, prayerfully, mercifully come to an end as the citizens of these United States elect our 45th president. This has been, and I don't think I'm telling you something you don't already know, this has been one of the most bitter and acrimonious election years in the history of our country. Neither party seems entirely thrilled with their chosen candidate, and both candidates seem to just amazingly generate new controversy on what seems like a daily basis. And as a result of that, the 24-hour news programs, they've just been working overtime, hasn't they? Politics has been front and center in the media and in our country for the past 12 months or so. Consequently, as that trickles down to us on an individual basis, that means that politics is dominating much of what we are talking about and what we are thinking about and what we are typing and posting about. What's going to happen? Who's going to be elected? What are things going to be like when the election is over? On and on the conversation goes. Now, hopefully as Christians, we are seeking to honor and to please God even in the midst of all of that, all of that hoopla and all of that chaos. But let's be honest, sometimes, sometimes it's easy to get wrapped up in the chaos. Sometimes it's easy to get sucked into all of the political fervor that's going on. And as a result, we end up losing sight and losing focus of what's truly important in this world and in this life. And that's why this evening, for these few minutes we have together, I want to talk to you about recalibrating our focus I want to help us to get our focus where it really needs to be as we approach Election Day 2016. Now let me be crystal clear right here at the outset of this lesson. I had some folks already joking with me at lunchtime about, about how the direction of this lesson was going to go. Let me be very clear as to what this lesson is not about. 
It is not my business to tell you how to vote. The Lakeside Church of Christ is not a political institution. It does not endorse a candidate. It has no affiliation with either political party. All we are is a group of disciples who are seeking to glorify Jesus the Christ. And what we have to offer here is simply instruction in the Word of God. That's all that we have. That's all that we bring to the table is instruction and guidance from the Word of God. And part of that means that the things that we teach and the things that we learn within the confines of this building is that we take the things from this book everywhere that we go. We take it out of this building. We take it into our jobs. We take it into our schools. We take it into our friendships. We take it into our marriages. And yes, we even take the principles that we learn from this book. We take those principles into the voting booth. But I'll say again, I am not here tonight to tell you how to vote. Instead, what I simply want to do is I want to help all of us to get some perspective. To get the proper perspective on politics and patriotism and all of the things that go along with that. I want to help us to put political affairs in their rightful place so that we can then focus on what really matters. And in fact, that's why I began with Philippians 3 verses 13 and 14. Because Paul shows us what it means to be singularly focused on the goal. Paul says, I am pressing on for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul did not allow himself to get all distracted with everything that was going on around him. Certainly there was turmoil and all kinds of controversy that swirled around in his day. Paul didn't get caught up in that. Didn't get caught up in all the political noise and hysteria. Instead, Paul says, I'm pressing on to something that is much more important. And while I certainly do not, throughout the course of this lesson, I do not want to give the impression that this election is somehow unimportant, or that voting does not have any merit or any value, or that we should not have any concerns whatsoever about what's going to happen as a result of this election when it's all said and done. not saying any of those things tonight. What I am saying, though, is that Christians need to understand that there is something more important than politics and voting. That God has given us some things. God has given us some positive things that far outweigh the ballots that are going to be cast on November the 8th. This evening, I want to get some of that perspective right out of the book of Philippians. Some things that will help us to raise our vision even past November the 8th. so That we can look at some matters that are... Some matters that are even more important than voting. And that all begins right here in this same chapter. Stay in Philippians chapter 3, but drop down to verse 20. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20, Paul goes on to say that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just start right here. What's more important than voting? Well, how about this? Where your citizenship is. That's more important than voting. Now, citizenship on a national level, that means a lot to people today. And you should know that it meant a lot to people in Paul's day. Paul was a Roman citizen. Not everybody who lived in the gigantic Roman Empire could call themselves a citizen, but Paul could. And it granted him certain perks and privileges that only citizens could have. Deploying that citizenship, for example, it gave Paul civil rights. Civil rights that the ordinary person did not have. 
In fact, in Acts, the 22nd chapter, we get an example of that where Paul uses his citizenship to get out of an illegal flogging. Being a citizen of Rome, that would have been important to to people who lived during that time. It's something that carried with it great power and great influence because it meant that you are a part of the most powerful physical nation upon the face of the earth. And yet, despite all of that, Paul says, I'm not a Roman citizen. Paul says, I am a citizen of the kingdom of God. Do you see now what Paul is trying to say to us, Christian? That we are part of a different world. That our concern, our interest, the privileges and the blessings that we enjoy, they don't come from here. We are part of something else. We are, to maybe use some biblical language, we are pilgrims. We are sojourners. That doesn't mean that we have zero interest in the affairs that are happening in our physical nation. Sojourners do have some interest in the country in which they are visiting. But let's remember that we are aliens. You hear that word an awful lot on the campaign trail as people are talking about immigration. We are aliens. We are resident aliens. And in the words of that song that we just got done singing, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Now maybe a more current and contemporary illustration of what I'm talking about might might really help us out here to really get our focus. Do you may remember back in the summer when there was all that stuff in the news about Brexit? Kept hearing that word Brexit. And I was interested in that. Just a, the word just kind of catches my attention. I want to know a little bit more about that. Great Britain was planning to, or at least was voting to, whether or not they should uh, exit and leave the European Union. And I had some interest in that. I read a couple of news stories about that. I watched a couple of features and news pieces that were uh, created about that. I was curious as to what was going to happen about that. had some level of interest in it. But I didn't obsess about it. I didn't worry about it, wring my hands about it. I didn't get into arguments with people about it. And why? Because I am not a citizen of that country. I had no vote in the matter and I didn't even want any vote in the matter. And so while it may have been of some passing interest to me, it was not of vital importance. Do you understand now what Paul is trying to say to us in Philippians 3 and verse 20? Our citizenship is in heaven. Do I have an interest in this election? Absolutely. Will it affect my world? Certainly it will. But am I obsessed about it? constantly worrying and fretting about it, talking endlessly about it, posting on social media about it every day, arguing with people about it? Absolutely not. I am not a citizen of the United States of America. Oh, sure, my birth certificate says that I am, but I have been born again. I have been born into a new and a better country. I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, which is ruled by a sovereign king, the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And I am part of a kingdom that will never end. I am part of a kingdom that will last for all of eternity. Which means that my heart and my soul and my priority and my interest and my concerns, they are there. They are up there in heaven. This election is merely a contest to see who will end up governing a nation that I am just visiting. I am a sojourner. And the reason Paul wrote that in Philippians 3 and verse 20 is because sometimes, sometimes Christians forget that. 
In fact, Paul writes that to some Christians here in the town of Philippi. Do you know anything about the town of Philippi? Philippi had been established as a Roman colony. It was land that was dedicated to be given to retired Roman soldiers. And as a result of living in that colony and in that town, those retired Roman soldiers, they would receive certain privileges while they lived there. And the goal that they had was to turn Philippi into, to make Philippi into kind of a a little Rome. They sought to make it as Romish as they possibly could. Because they were so proud of their Roman citizenship. They wore that as a badge of honor. And so in light of all of that, Paul says to these Philippian Christians, he says, remember, you're not part of that. That's not what you're all about. Don't get confused. That's not where your citizenship lies. You know what? Sometimes we need that reminder too. Because our hearts and our stuff, our things, our families and our friends and everything that we have around us, it's all just so tied to and rooted in this physical country. And so as a result of that, we end up do, we do get really wrought up and worked up when an election comes. Because we want everything in this country to be tailored and to be fitted to, to our comforts and our, our conveniences and our rights and to be just exactly how we want it to be. But Paul says that's not our purposes. That's not what we're all about as Christians. That's not us. We need to be raising our eyes. Look at the end of verse 20 there. And from it we await a Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what matters. And that's something that's going to far outlast any election or any ballot that's going to be cast on Tuesday. Where is your citizenship? That's more important than voting. And I would tell you secondly, I would tell you secondly, that prayer, talking to your heavenly Father, is more important than voting. Are you still there in Philippians? Just look in chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul says what we need to do is to not be anxious, verse 6, Philippians 4, verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. One of the more modern translations, it renders that verse, don't worry about anything, instead pray about everything and tell God what you need. Has there ever been a more fitting and more appropriate passage for this election season than that? Don't worry about anything, but pray about everything. As Christians, we must believe that prayer is far more important. And it is a far greater impact than anything that could ever be said or anything that could ever be done as a result of a human election. And that is true because of what prayer What prayer is all about. That is true because of what prayer connects us to and who it connects us to. It connects us to the very throne room of God. One fellow said the following. He said, I don't know if the electoral college will listen, but I know God always will. Amen to that. And don't we know that to be true? Surely we know that to be true. That God hears. God listens. Indeed, God desires and God wants us to communicate and to talk to Him. And not only does God listen when we talk to Him, but God responds. God answers. God acts based upon our prayers. In His perfect will and in His perfect providence, God responds to our prayers with what He sees as best. And so, yes, 
We do need to carry our consciences and we do need to carry the principles of Scripture when we go into that voting booth. But you know what? Even if you could vote a million times, you could cast a million different votes just on behalf of yourself, even if you could vote all day, every day, it would never accomplish as much as one prayer to God. And in fact, step out of Philippians for just a moment. Find First Timothy chapter 2. Because here is a much needed turn that this discussion needs to make as we talk about prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, look at the top of that chapter. Look at the, let's get the first three verses. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. He says to Timothy, first of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. Notice now verse 2. For kings... And for all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. You want to know what pleases God? Paul says, praying pleases God. And more specifically, verse 2, when we pray for those who have rule over us, when we pray for those who are in positions of authority over us, and specifically that we pray that we might be able to live a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. And can I remind you, as we talk about that passage, can I remind you that that text was written long before the United States of America ever existed? That text was written long before documents like the Constitution and the Bill of Rights were ever authored. That text was written in the first century when Nero was reigning as a despicable and deplorable emperor and a tyrant. Nero was either insane or he was very, very good at acting like he was insane. Nero was the kind of man who brought waves of persecution upon the church and upon Christians. He had imprisoned Paul at least once, and after the writing of the book of Philippians, he would do so again. There's not much good to say about the government of Nero. And yet Paul still writes this letter in Timothy to say that we need to pray and that we need to pray for him. Can you believe that? Praying for Nero? You know, I've heard very, I've just heard various people say things like, you know, if so and so is elected, then I, I'm going to move out of the country. Well, you know what? I don't care who's elected. Whichever one of the two people is elected, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for that individual. That's what I'm going to do. And why? Because the Bible says that is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. And the kind of praying that we are talking about here is it's not praying that my candidate will be the winner. That's not what Paul says. Nor are we praying, Lord, please let my party triumph. That's not what's being talked about here. The praying that Paul talks about here is desiring earnestly that those who govern over us, that they will serve in such a way that they will help us or at the very least allow us to lead peaceful and quiet lives, godly and dignified in every way. In fact, let me just say, men, when we're leading prayers and we're praying about the election and our leaders, just pray that verse. Pray those exact words out of verse 2. That's a wonderful thing to pray for. The question is, are we doing that kind of praying on a daily sort of basis? That the person who ends up filling the highest office in this land, 
That they will be influenced to godliness and to righteousness. That they will protect the innocent. That they will uphold justice and law so that we can live those quiet and peaceful lives. That's God's will. And that's what God wants us to be doing. But I'll say to you this evening, we can't do that and we won't do that if we don't believe in the power of prayer. Maybe I should add to this discussion James chapter 5, verse 16. Would you find James 5? I made reference to James 5, 16 this morning. We talked about the front half of that verse, but pay attention now to the back half of that verse. In James 5 and in verse 16, James says, to confess your sins to one another and to pray for one another that you may be healed. Notice now the last part of the verse. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. you believe that? Do you believe that one person praying can make a difference? You know, sometimes we, we pray for something. We pray, shoot off one of those quickie prayers. We pray for like, you know, five seconds. And then we raise our head and we open our eyes. And if God has not remodeled the entire world according to our demands in that prayer, we end up deciding, that well, I guess praying didn't do a whole lot of good. I guess I'll just go on and do something else. Praying didn't work. Listen to me very carefully. In no way am I trying to advocate the kind of praying that many of these televangelists try to advocate. Kind of the, the genie in the lamp sort of prayer that if you pray it, God's just going to give it every time. That is so far removed from anything that the Bible has to say about prayer. But the prayer that's being discussed in James the fifth chapter, it is the kind of praying that comes from a deep relationship with our Heavenly Father. It is the kind of praying that says, Here am I, Lord. I want to do Your will. That kind of praying, James says, has tremendous power and effect. Do you believe it? And if you do believe that, then we need to be doing more of it. We need to be doing more of that kind of praying. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for those who are in positions of leadership and rulership over us. Why? Because prayer matters. And this evening I'm saying that prayer matters even more than voting. All of that would then bring me to this final point this evening. Look in Philippians again. In Philippians chapter 4. This time in verse 9. In Philippians chapter 4, there Paul tells us that what really matters... Probably, probably just most of all, is that you actively practice your Christianity. In Philippians 4, look in verse 9, there Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I need to be completely frank with you. Your best chance, my best chance, to affect the United States of America is by living every day as a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. That is our best chance of affecting this nation. Now, I probably could not make that statement if maybe there was a Supreme Court justice sitting in the audience this evening. Or maybe if there was a United States senator sitting in the audience. Or even if the president himself was sitting in this audience. Because those people, they have the capacity to affect lots of people. They can affect huge numbers. They can affect in such a way that will reverberate for generations and generations. They can affect a lot of people all at once with just the stroke of a pen or with the drop of a gavel. 
But none of us, none of us are in those positions. And in all likelihood, none of us will ever be in those positions. I don't want to squash the dreams of any of our young people who aspire to be president one day, but in all likelihood, that's not going to happen. Which means then, that you and I, we need to simply do what we can do. And you know what we can do? We can live out our Christianity. You know, what I fear sometimes, and especially during an election cycle, is that we get all concerned with the really big things that the big boys and the big girls in Capitol Hill can do. And I should say, I, I, I wish, I do, I wish that they would do good. I wish that those folks in Washington, I wish that they would lead in righteousness. That they would lead in a righteousness that would end up filtering and trickle down all across this nation so that we could lead those quiet and peaceful lives. I wish for that. I hope for that. I pray for that. But you know what? That is beyond what I can control. I can't do anything about that. But do you know what I can do? I can be a Christian. I can be a genuine Christian. I can do Philippians 4 verse 9. I can practice these things. During the past 12 months, there has been just this, this firestorm of discussion and posting and talking and conversing and concern about what's going to happen in the election. What are we going to do in the voting booth come November the 8th? And I don't want to disparage that in any sort of way. Because it is a wonderful privilege that we have been granted to participate, a participatory democracy that we live in. That we have the rights and the liberties that we do. That we do get to vote. People in other lands, they don't get that privilege. We get to vote. That's wonderful. That's marvelous. And we ought to thank God for that opportunity. But honestly now, let's use some common sense. Honestly now, millions upon millions of votes have already been cast. And millions upon millions of votes will be cast come November the 8th. Which means then that your vote, your vote will constitute a very, 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 I don't think I can get it any smaller, a very, very small percentage in the final outcome of this election. And you know what? Even if you, after you voted, even if you went around and you told everybody who you voted for, and you let the whole world know about who you cast your vote for, that is still not a message that's going to change anybody's eternity. However, when I go to people and I say things like, I'm praying for you. Or when I extend an invitation to someone who's not a Christian, I invite them to come to worship services. Or when I ask somebody a spiritual question, a Bible question. Or when I talk with my neighbor and initiate a conversation about spiritual things. Whenever I befriend somebody so that I can try to have influence upon them for the kingdom of God. When I try to point people to Jesus, that, that can make an eternity of difference. Why then? Why then, if we are so concerned about the direction of this country... Why then are we not saying something about the One who can truly help people? Why are we not saying something about the Lord and about how He desires for people to live? Why would we focus so much of our energies and our time and our conversations and our posts on Facebook hollering for Hillary or trumpeting for Trump and then we say not one word about Jesus? Folks, that just, that, that just doesn't work. 
If Hillary or Donald, if they go down in history as the greatest president of all U.S. presidents, he or she will not save a single soul. Only Jesus can save souls. And you and I, as the people of God, don't we know that? Don't we believe that? Which is why then it is incumbent upon us. It is absolutely mandatory for us that we do invite and talk to and say something and pray for and do the kinds of things that will cause people to know their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's 1 Peter chapter 2. Would you find 1 Peter 2? In 1 Peter 2 and verse 9, we just recently concluded a gospel meeting, some wonderful teaching from the book of 1 Peter. Gary Sandusky talked about this passage. I want to look at it again in 1 Peter chapter 2. Look in verse 9. Peter says there, he says, you are, you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Then I love this expression. You're a holy nation. How much better is it to say that I am a part of a holy nation? Something that is completely outside of the physical realm in which we live. I'm part of a holy nation. Notice this. A people for God's own possession. Why? So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be about the business of proclamation. We need to be about the business of practicing New Testament Christianity. If all of the discussion and all of the chatter and all of the arguing and all of the fussing on social media and all of the fussing that's happened across kitchen tables and all of the fussing that's happened across backyard fences with neighbors, if all of that and all the energy that was put into that, all the energy that was put into worrying and wringing our hands about this election, if all of that energy had been harnessed and put into Bible study and evangelism, you know what would have happened? We would have had a church full of Bible scholars and half the world would have been converted. Participating in the political process. It is something that I'll say again. We can affect very, very little. But thanks be to God that He has given us the opportunity to participate in something much greater. To participate in something that can actually change the eternal destiny of a soul. That's where we need to focus our energies. Because the darker it gets, and I know that people get all concerned about our nation, it just seems like dark times, perilous times, things are getting bad. But you know what? The darker that it gets, the brighter our light is able to shine. And that's a wonderful thing. You want to make a difference? You can make a difference when you serve the Lord as a genuine, wholehearted, fully committed disciple of Jesus Christ. That, my friends... Matters a whole lot more than voting. And so what do you think of an election full of meanness and innuendo and name calling of every kind? One side says the other side is a drunk and this opposing side says that the other candidate is responsible for all of the bad things that have happened in the country. Sexual talk and salacious affairs filled the air and both candidates say that the nation is Well, the nation's on a track to just rock bottom. Am I talking about the election between Hillary and Donald? Actually, I'm not. I'm actually talking about the election of 1840 between Martin Van Buren and William Henry Harrison. It was a hotly contested election. 
and ended up ending with Harrison uh, winning the presidency. I'm going to guess, though, as I just told you that, I'm going to guess that, barring the possibility that we might have a history buff in attendance, I'm going to guess that very few people knew about Martin Van Buren or knew anything about William Henry Harrison, had any idea about what those candidates stood for or what was going on in the country at that time or what the campaigns, what their platform was all about or even what William Henry Harrison was like as a president. I'm guessing most of us, if not everyone, has completely forgotten about that. I don't mean to diminish voting this evening. And I don't mean to diminish this election this evening. But you know what? If our country is to stand for another 176 years, I'm going to guess that nobody will remember Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump either. But you know what? If this country stands 10,000 times 10,000 years the gospel will still remain as the power of God unto salvation. I do not know who will win the election on Tuesday, but I do know Him who has already won the victory at Calvary. Politics come, and then politics go. And if the world should stand for another four years, politics are going to come again. I am not saying that politics and voting, that it has no effect and that it has no meaning. But Paul tells us, That as we press on toward the goal, Christians need to know what matters the most. Let's put our hearts, let's put our energies, let's put our focus singularly on these kinds of things, not only during this election week, but every day. Now as we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, let me just say, and I want to emphasize this, I am proud to be an American. I am. I am convinced that this is the greatest physical nation that this earth has ever known. I am. I'm proud to be an American and I love this country. But listen to me very clearly. Jesus did not come to this earth to make Americans. Jesus came here and died to make disciples. He came here and died to make Christians. And the invitation of our Lord is about giving you the opportunity to do just that. To become a Christian. If you're not a child of God this evening, you have the wonderful, marvelous privilege and opportunity to be a part of that holy nation that Peter talked about in 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. To become a part of the people of God. And if you're ready this evening to confess your faith in Jesus as Lord, to repent and turn from sin and to be baptized for the remission of your sins, we'd love to assist you in doing just that. Perhaps, brother or sister, there's sin maybe in your life and you need the prayers of the saints here, you need the forgiveness of God, and you just need our help and our encouragement. All of that is available to you this evening as well. You just need to make that known. If there's anybody here who needs to respond to the gracious and wonderful offer of salvation that our Lord provides, why don't you take advantage of this moment? Do it right now while we stand and while we sing.